Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocTalk. ZocTalk is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocTalk is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc dot com slash drink. Bye. (sighs) And hello to everyone else. Welcome to episode one. Nope. One. (laughs) Wow. Are you kidding me? No, I'm sorry. One of many. Episode one of the rest of your lives. Uh, <laughs> this is episode 229. Is that correct? I don't yes. even know. Okay, episode great. Of the rest of your lives. You've made it to the next chapter. You've done it. You're You've here. You've done it. Welcome. You're in the new phase of life. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. Hi, what did everybody. You say, did you say recently you were like, oh, we were trying to title our episode so we could send the audio to Eva. And you were like, what episode is this? Five? And I was like... <laughs> Girl, it's been a little longer than five. I think I said one again. I think I just keep saying it's episode one. I don't know what is going on. I appreciate um, the, the the newness that you still feel for I'm the show, I'm trying to bring That's a fresh nice. energy to the table, okay? <laughs> is this podcast a newborn baby? What's happening? <laughs> this is a fresh infant. Welcome. Um, Emothy, hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. I um, This has been a busy week. Um, this is a this is y'all this is a chaotic week it's true uh i don't know what's going on but we're really overwhelmed um it's very um meant it's very like meant like written in the stars as like gemini season it's like just the most chaos i've felt in a long time it is it is um the (laughs) the problem is em and i both separately had vacations planned and they both happened to not coincide they both happened to not overlap for a single hour literally kiss at the end of when christine lands and i leave exactly 
exactly. they're both long trips and so yeah yeah we've been i mean trying to um, mine is four days but yours is pretty long i think mine's pretty long i uh mine's 10 days i think because i also i'm gonna be like close to florida and so while i'm there i was like i should also see well, my where are you going tell us I'm going to the Bahamas, which is... I know, I'm so jealous. I don't know how to feel about it because I... I mean, I'm excited that, like, I get to go. I'm lucky enough that I get to go. But I haven't been... So we used to go every year. That was, like, the big family trip every year. And so um, I used to go all the time when I was a kid, but I haven't gone since high school, I don't think, or maybe since, like, the first year of college. So a lot of time has passed and we used to have like all these things that like we always saw and we always did when we got there but literally we've like changed families since like there's been sure, a new sure, marriage sure. and there's new traded kids them in traded them out <laughs> yeah there's new dynamics now and so i don't know like also it's been like what 10 years so i don't know what it looks like anymore so i used to be really excited because i like knew all the things i wanted to do and all the things that we had planned and now i feel like i'm going on like someone else's family trip and i'm like i don't know what what like, what am I doing each day? So I'm a little nervous because at la- I still think about going there as a kid and, like, not being able to just, like, as an adult say, I'm going to go do this fucking thing and, like, see y'all. Yeah, so I have yeah. to break out of that mindset where it's like, I'm a grown-ass adult, and if I want to go do something my family doesn't want to, I can just go do it. You can but do I'm, it. I'm thinking in the, he- the headspace of, like, mom already made plans for every day. And so, like, you know. Anyway, it's weird. <laughs> it's going to be weird traveling at all, especially uh, – out of the country it's going to be weird um seeing my family for that long i don't know what my mom and i are like after 10 days together i can i I guess i can't wait for the text messages and facetimes though also we have uh officially smuggled deirdre into the mix and so she'll be there so i was hoping i'm very excited that was a last minute decision where i was like just buy a ticket and let's see (laughs) how this goes decision so yeah, so Deirdre's coming. So I'm so um, excited. I also haven't ha- hung out with Deirdre for ten days in a row in a long time. So that, that's the thing I'm probably most excited about. That'll be fun. Well, I am going on a so I am going on a baby moon with Renee, which I was like, romantic. It's so romantic. Blaze was like. I was like, oh, there's this thing called a baby moon. And he's like, well, I'm going to a bachelor party at some point in August. And I was like, okay, I'm going on a baby moon to Palm Springs with Renee. So I'm very excited. Um, What are your plans to – so I don't really understand, like, what there is to do these days in Palm Springs. So I will be rather pregnant. So I'm not going to be doing too much. And, like, I'm one of those people who, when I vacation – I know you and I are pretty opposite. Like, I just love to, like, eat and chill. And, you know, like, like, I'm not a big, like – activities person but we do have some things planned i rented a really fun car that renee doesn't know about so it's a surprise (gasps) oh my god um and i'm really excited about that it's gonna be like our kind of like honeymoon like i'm it's i'm pretending it's like our honeymoon um no i would that's that's what i'm thinking too (laughs) (laughs) we're taking it like to a next level and you know as an aries and a gemini it's always chaotic but so we're going to (laughs) rent this really cute airbnb with a pool and this weird lady named carol who yesterday uh sent Renee a bunch of pictures of her brother-in-law for like no reason uh so it's just <laughs> gonna be a weird it's gonna be a it hasn't weird... even begun and it's weird <laughs> Carol's already like causing some weird issues but yeah we're going to do like a drive because it's gonna be 115 degrees so we're doing like a drive-through of Joshua Tree like my brother said Whoa. it's kind of cool to drive through and look at it without like 
you know, actually having to hike or anything. I feel like something's going to happen where you're going to be pregnant and the car is going to overheat and now you're going to be in the desert with okay, Renee. And- stop it. Because Renee already planned a whole thing. She's like, I know where the nearest emergency room is. I was like, Renee, I'm not, nothing's going to happen. Everybody's so, like, I'm, I promise. She's like, well, I, so we're taking a thermometer and if your temperature goes above 102, we have to go to the emergency room. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Don't worry. I'll be fine. But um, it, we'll see. <laughs> I was gonna say I am going to not place a lot of money on you suffering, but I'm not going to not pay anything. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel like at least it's somewhere I've been before, like maybe once or twice, and it's it's at least we're flying into LAX. It's not like I mean, I know you're leaving the country, but like I feel like it's at least a safer place like that I've been a lot of times. So at we're least we're going to crisscross the airwaves. I know. Aw. So anyway, I guess all this to say is that we had to record I think like and then with BGC I'd record I think eight episodes this week which is just a lot um and we had to record like six or something so we have two today for y'all and it's gonna be a good time (laughs) that's why it is chaotic because I feel like I haven't slept anytime I am awake I am like researching and like trying to like tired (laughs) I just want to take a fucking nap man and like I still have I wrote out like minute by minute or hour by hour, like all the things I need to do and how I need to get them done. And like, I'm still, I think, not sleeping for another two days. Isn't that the most stressful thing when you're like, I need to wake up at 8.30 to go to the post office and then go straight to my appointment. Because you have no other option. Like that's all you've got. Yeah. But it's going to be worth it when we're in on the beach. It will be worth it when I'm carrying drunk Deirdre home. That's Yes. That's all I want. Deirdre, are you listening? I need you to get fucking annihilated. I'm so excited for the FaceTime slash just text messages updates. Well, also the last time I think we all went was, so my mom always used to, because you're allowed to drink at 18 there. And so uh, when we used to go in college, we would drink even though we weren't 21. And then, or, you know, my friends. And uh, and even, oh, speaking of which. Is Deirdre calling you right now? That was my mother calling. Oh. (laughs) Now she's going to call me three more times and be like, why are you ignoring me? I'll be like, yo, I'm so busy. Excuse me. My mother just texted me, hello. Ew. Why are they doing this? Uh oh. They're probably like at the beach. In high school, a a lot of times we had to like sneak alcohol away from our parents because we weren't even 18 yet when we would go. Oh my God. So this is going to be fun to see like my friend and my mom like finally allowed to like both solidly legally openly just get drunk together booze at, it up at, on the beach so yeah anyway do you have any other reasons why you drink today or are you just sleepy like me listen i'm just like sleepy but like excited to to i don't know get this party started i'm in a good headspace, but i'm in a very me bad too. body space you which know maybe I, mean? like- <laughs> I think that might be a good combo because i feel like if we were in a bad headspace, like that's when we get cranky and i feel like mm-hmm. that doesn't bode well but i feel like if we're in a good headspace and physically we're a little bit off yep that sometimes turns into some fun times so usually when we're off we're actually on you know that's exactly right <laughs> whatever that means is exactly you get it correct. you get it i get it Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am 
so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. It feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Juni, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues. And Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD to save 20%. prettylitter.com slash ATWWD code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so uh, I do have a story for you today that is, um, oh, it's a, it's a normal link. I, for a second, I thought we had to rush. Okay, so this, I wanted to give you something because I know that we are doing two stories today and I wanted to kick it off with the right headspace. And uh, so we are doing a UFO story. Yes, 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 yes. I'm very excited. Let's do it. Okay, it is in melbourne which i know is not the appropriate way to say it but i also am trying to actively not say it in the australian accent that i am so bad melbourne there it is okay i needed to hear it it was like a thing what um yeah i like wanted to say it in the australian accent but then i was trying to like not be like like a classic like well i think i gotta always say say things in australian accents just say it just do it melbourne 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 Melbourne. just don't think about it as an australian accent just say Melbourne, Melbourne. Anyway, it's also in a town called Westall. And uh, <laughs> uh, Westall is apparently the nickname for an area called Clayton South. So that's like the more specific area that we're talking about. But uh, so it's called Clayton South, but it's just known, I think, as Westall. And um, the main source that I used for this was a documentary called Westall 66, A Suburban UFO Mystery. Mm. 
so there also there was in the documentary there was an interview by a ufo researcher where i think the footage like got hidden away or like went missing or they just couldn't find it or i don't even think they knew it existed and in the documentary they uncovered audio from dr james mcdonald who we'll talk about a little bit and then a high school teacher who was a witness to this ufo named mr green okay the thing that makes that footage special when I talk about it is that a lot of the event was mainly children witnesses. <gasps> and so, and this was also in the sixties. And so I guess to have like more quote legitimate testimonies, they only really had children's accounts. It's so, it's, it's so hard to prep, but basically they took a lot of, um, uh, the government got involved and kept everyone very quiet. So there's not a lot on record of what happened. Mm-hmm. But the only witness testimonies they have are from children. One, because there were more of them and they like were convinced they saw it. And were and there was only like a handful of teachers that saw it. But also because a lot of, of the teachers have passed away. So now oh. there's no way to get those testimonies. So got the fact it. that they found an old recording is like really got awesome. It. So it's the year is 1966. Westall High School, and it's 11 a.m., and the students are hanging out outside, and then I guess um, some of them are hanging outside because they're coming back from, like, a gym class or recess or something. Recess. And uh, they run inside, especially there's one kid that people remember. He sprinted inside, and he was screaming his head off about flying saucers outside. Oh. And Mr. Greenwood, who they end up interviewing later, he was the class he was one of the classrooms that this kid ran into and the kid was screaming about flying saucers it was complete frenzy apparently they thought everyone thought it was the end of the world (laughs) um keep in mind this was also like the 60s where like the whole thing like ufos were huge in pop culture right so kids were freaking out like in the documentary it actually like i was thinking about it in like kind of a funny lighthearted way of like ah you know i don't know i just thought about it in like Yeah, and but actually, then I watched the documentary and I went, "Oh, like (laughs) the kids were panic stricken. Sure, people were jumping over fences. People were climbing up in the trees. People were looking for places to hide. Like, uh, people were like crying and screaming, thinking like they were gonna die. And so it's just like complete chaos. Oh my god! The science teacher, Mr. Greenwood, he goes outside to see what everyone else saw. And sure enough, there is a UFO floating by a power line coming towards the school. (gasps) Scary. And Mr. Greenwood, he ended up describing the UFO as round, silver, car-sized, and it had a metal rod sticking up. Okay. And he also said, eventually, five different planes, like actual planes, all showed up (gasps) trying to surround it. While the kids were panicking. Oh, my God. And interestingly, the Westall UFO incident was mostly experienced by students, but that makes sense because we were out of school. But up to 300 to 350 people saw this. Wow. So that makes it, I think, the country's uh, most... I wrote somewhere farther down, so I'll say it again later, but it's like the the most witnessed um, UFO incident. So evidence and corroborative documents have been lost mm-hmm. or kept quiet, um, but witnesses that are still alive swear it happened. Uh, in the documentary, there was one student named Jeff uh, who says that skeptics use this a lot as like a reason why UFOs don't exist because there's such little information. But really, it was like because things were getting hidden or nobody trusted children's testimonies. Everyone just kind of gaslit them mm-hmm. and thought that like, oh, no, you just saw a plane. But... 
Jeff is like, no, this fucking happened. The school captain, which I didn't know that was a thing. I love that. <laughs> uh, I guess it means like the president, like class president or something. Sure. Uh, Graham Simmons, he also swears it happened. He says, what I saw was something I've never seen before. Everyone started moving like a whole lot of zebras being terrified of crocodiles. Oh, sure. And Barb, I'm sure. You, you know. <laughs> if I saw a crocodile, I don't know if you would call me a zebra. Um, you would just call me like a floundering human. I'd call you N. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You'd call me a puff of dust because I wouldn't be there. Uh, and Graham says, and Barbara Robbins, who was the chemistry teacher, just grabbed her camera and started clicking. So there were pictures taken of this UFO. Okay. Uh, smart barbara Very. by the way Bar- to be like you know what overthrow babs- overthrow Ga- graham and babs for pre- president <laughs> babs, babs for, for president. captain i'm gonna vote babs justice for barb right yes that's right and graham also said that the ufo was about 50 meters in the air it was hovering with lights surrounding it and there's another student named terry in the documentary who also said one of the kids looked up, uh, looked in the sky and said, it's flying saucers. And I remember we all looked up. It was round, a silver disc, which seemed very low over the school. And I remember just kids screaming and running inside. Mm. One article says that some kids who saw it actually, quote, collapsed and became ill with fright. Oh, so geez. some people were just getting literally That was me. Just panic attack on the ground. I think you, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone just like ran to a trash can and started vomiting. Like, out yeah, of just, well, like I complete mean, complete nerves. I, I would probably have a full on panic attack. Yeah. I, and as you should, by the way. <laughs> so the UFO moved across the school and the way that it was described by all the kids who are still around and were interviewed to see it, uh, they said it kind of hovered by and then there was a this gathering of trees and it dropped below the trees so you couldn't see anything it's like wait let's hide real quick everyone's <laughs> puking like it was like, <laughs> like oh i made them nervous let's Uh-oh. let's play the long game here <laughs> sorry we weren't trying to overwhelm you jeez <laughs> uh and so it went down behind the trees uh allegedly landed in a field and then it came back from up the trees and then shot away okay some say that there were actually like three UFOs. One person said there were two UFOs. There was at least one. That we can okay. all agree on. There was at <laughs> least one. There was one there. Got it. And it was then allegedly chased by like five, they think, military planes. Military. Got it. But only some witnesses say that they saw this. Other people were like, I never saw the planes. Okay. So in James McDonald's interviews, here is a quote. Uh, the planes were doing everything possible to approach the object and how they all avoided collision no one will ever know <gasps> every time they got too close to the object it would slowly accelerate then rapidly accelerate and then move away from them and stop so it was playing like cat and mouse Ooh, with scary. all of these planes and also yeah i can't imagine if all of these planes are trying to close in on each other how do you not crash in the air? yeah that's scary too because they don't have this fun like back and forth situation these people <laughs> have it's like when you're chasing your dog who thinks it's a game, but actually you're trying to save them. Yes. And it's like the dog Giovanni. thinks you're having a good time yeah. and everyone else is like, no, 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 no. They we think gotta. the cars are part of the chase and it's like, no, no, that's <laughs> that's going to kill you, actually. Oh, horrific. I Intense. am shocked that Gio has made it this far. Uh, don't say that. <laughs> Knock on wood. Jeez. Knock on wood. But that dog really loves to run into traffic. It or at least he used cars. to. Oh, yeah. This game. Oh, the quote keeps going. Uh, this game reportedly went on for about 20 minutes, and by the time and by this time, Mr. Greenwood said that 350 children and staff were watching on. Oh my god! They're just like we have no nothing else to do but. Can witness. you imagine a, a kid just 
getting ill, fainting, and your friends are just watching, like, the military not be able to catch a UFO in the sky. Just, like, get made fun of practically in the air. And then the teachers are going to make you go back and, like, do homework after this? Like, you've got things on your I hope you get the mind. fucking week off. At least the day <laughs> off. Hopefully the week off. Uh, apparently it, so when it darted off, it flew away. Apparently it darted off into a field known as the Grange. And the Grange, for the Westall students, kind of knew it as where, like, the rebels hanged out. It was, like, where they would, <laughs> like, the smokers would go and stuff. Um, funny enough, as, although all of these kids were panic-stricken a lot of them took this opportunity since it was flying away all these kids started chasing it to see where it went because they wanted to like follow the ufo and be able to like tell everyone what happened next i feel like that would be me like oh my god i'm puking i'm having i'm gonna die and then it goes away it's like wait 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 i want to see what it actually where it <laughs> you goes would be run- you would be running like. and puking at the same time i would time. i would be having an you'd episode. be michael scott on his fun run just, <laughs> just <laughs> i would also be eating alfredo it would be an episode indeed like i don't know how else to describe it <laughs> Um, and so, uh, like, a lot of kids were, like, they, a lot of kids reported seeing other kids, like, jumping fences and, like, trying to wriggle through fences. Like, oh, just I wouldn't to, like, be jumping anything, thing. to be clear. But, Not yeah. even a lick. No. Uh, <laughs> and so, there was one student who chased it with her friends, and apparently, they ran off in front of her. One of them, her name was Tanya. And when she caught up to them, Tanya had passed out. Like, she was, like... <gasps> They don't know what happened to Tanya. Was she running too hard after eating a lot of Alfredo? Was <sighs> she, like, sh- like did she interact with the <gasps> UFO? Like, no one. So she caught up with her. Tanya was passed out. And she didn't know what to do. But she does know that the UFO must have landed um, at some point, And that she thinks because the UFO landed, Tanya and the UFO had some sort of, like, moment together. And Tanya passed out. How cute. But she, they they think that the UFO must have landed because uh, when she got there, there was this flattened, swirly pattern in the grass <gasps> where some of the grass was no longer green. Whoa. It had yellowed and brown. A crop circle. Which, a crop circle. And uh, then a, this student said, I think her name was Jacqueline. I, I forgot to write it down. I'm sorry. But um, let's call her Jacqueline. Sure. Uh, she says that she then saw the UFO herself, quote, turn on its side and disappear into thin air. Turn on its side. So, like, it was flat and then it went, boing. Wait, so was it still on the ground or it was up in the air now? I think at this point she'd seen it because she, when she got there, the ground had this pattern. Oh, so in it, it was so already she, back up. Yeah. Got it. She thinks while it was on the ground and Tanya was on the ground, they had some sort of, like, that maybe. That is super weird. Something going on. Huh. Um weirdly enough i don't know it's when you start hearing more about like how there was like some cover-up to this it sounds fishier but the kids later they were like so what happened to tanya and they're like we never saw her again (gasps) what wait what (laughs) they like they were like we remember an ambulance coming to get her no she never came back to school and it was the middle of the year so she could have just been fucking traumatized oh well okay yeah i hope that's i mean i don't hope that's what happened but i hope at least like that's the least cover-up-y version Yeah. (laughs) yeah and then but then the other thought is maybe that like she got brought in somewhere for questioning and like couldn't return. So yikes! Before it landed, and Tanya allegedly saw the UFO. There was another student named Victor who also saw it land, and he says he even touched the UFO. <gasps> but he yeah, didn't pass I don't out. Know. So I don't believe Victor for a second. That sounds like a very Victor kid thing to say. Especially when another kid got dragged out by an ambulance. Like, I think there was... Like, well, I touched it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe him for a second. Victor says, 
quote, all the kids were hanging on a fence, but I could hear somebody in the background say, stay away, don't jump the fence. And so I thought, well, I'm going over to the fence. I got... <laughs> okay, that part I do Okay, believe. Christine. <laughs> that part I can get behind. <laughs> well, I'm going over the fence and I got up to touch it and it was, well, you see, you could feel heat about a meter away from it. So even if he didn't touch it itself, he got yeah, close enough to it where close he could feel uh, blah, blah, blah. It was pretty warm or hot and with <laughs> warm or hot. And within a minute, it uh, within a minute or so, both of them, because he says there were two, both of them lifted at the same <gasps> time. Wow. It was breathtaking just watching that. And then it just gradually lifted up and went off towards the pines. It had no seams. And this is a separate quote, but he actually drew um, a sketch of it so he would never forget what it looked like. And all he said about it was like, it looked like a norm, like a ufo disc shaped thing mm-hmm. in the sky and vector said it had no seams it had no joints it was completely smooth metal. oh interesting it's like it it didn't like it's creepy i guess in my head a ufo would be like bolted together sure. in panels but he was like nope it was just smooth. that's creepy and just like something you'd see in the movies so wow. so he's the one who says that there's two there is someone else who says there were three of them i don't know we can't ask tanya because girls out of commission oh tanya so sorry. Uh, there's also a kid. Well, I guess now he's a grown ass man. But there was a kid <laughs> named Sean Matthews. And he, his family leased the land at the Grange where the UFO landed. Yeah. And so this is Sean's memory of what happened. He says, quote, I saw the thing come across the horizon and drop down behind the pine trees. I couldn't tell you what it was. It certainly wasn't a light aircraft or anything of that. I saw the thing drop down behind the pine trees and I saw it leave again. It went up and off very, very rapidly. I went over and there was a circle in the clearing. It looked like it had been cooked or boiled, but not Ooh. burnt as I remember. So something had happened on the on the land, that, which makes sense with what the, the other students yeah. said. Um, a heap of kids from Westall came charging through to see what happened. And they were saying, look at this, look at that. We saw it as well. That sort of thing. It was a bit of a, t- a talking point for a couple days. And the way this thing moved, there is no way it could have been a weather balloon or a light aircraft, a helicopter, no way, no noise, wrong shape. And it didn't move like that. It came out of the distance. It stopped and then just dropped. It didn't just sort of cruise and then sl- slightly descend at an angle. It stopped, dropped, and then went straight back up. Ugh. So um, super creepy. I also like that there's so many people at this point. It wasn't just the school. It was people nearby who were like. A heap of kids. We could hear the, we could see the kids running at us being like, we saw it too. We saw it too. So everyone is like, like they are like, we saw this fucking thing. Like we're all having like different experiences with it, but we're all seeing this thing. Wow. And every person who um, told the story of what they saw all say, at least by the school, that it floated through dropped down below the trees, came back up and shot away. And so it could have either, I guess when it shot away, that's when it went to the fields, maybe landed and had the Tanya thing happen. Did, did something it, to Tanya, who knows? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then it went to the Grange. Two people who, one person whose family literally owns the Grange and Tanya. Weird things happened with it landing and then something in the grass afterwards. And then it shot off. Wow. So when the UFO vanished and the craziness eventually died down around town or not. Uh, and by by died around town, I mean, like that day, like it wasn't like, oh, when the rumor mills kind of slowed down after a couple of weeks. It was like that day after everyone had kind of been regathered at the school. Uh-huh. 
the headmaster demanded everybody come back inside. No. And, but I think he was just going to, like, treat the day like fucking normal. Like, <sighs> that, like, don't make any fuss about that. It was just... Apparently that the headmaster himself has passed now, but in the documentary, they interviewed his kids and the kids were like, that guy was like, not about UFOs, spiritual stuff. He was like really like firm in his beliefs Mm -hmm. and like that would not have flown. So like, it makes sense why he was like, you didn't see that like that. You were all. He's a skeptic. Very big skeptic. Soon, military and uh, police personnel showed up at the school and started threatening everyone into silence. <laughs> That's um, nice. <laughs> and so, despite like, the don't kids- say we don't make fun of us for that game of chase we played earlier. Okay. Yeah. Ignore ignore the fact that you literally saw me five seconds ago in the it's sky. A little embarrassing. Um, despite the kids in town insisting this happened, and again, there was like up to three hundred fifty people who saw this mm. fucking thing. The principal was apparently, or the headmaster, was shaken, I think, by the events, or that events happened, but, like, refused to say that it was anything supernatural. He was trying to just be stern about, like, Mm -hmm. stand by his skepticism. Yeah, and the kids say that he ended up holding an assembly. I don't know if this was because the when the military and everyone came in, they demanded that of him, or if he did it himself, but he held an assembly that day when the ufo was gone and all the kids were like coming back and he basically gaslit the fuck out of these kids he was like you saw nothing it was a weather balloon never talk about it again and then the teachers were basically told shut up or lose your job i wonder what would you what you would do though because i bet if the military came and said like you cannot say anything or i mean i feel like you'd be in a hard position Oh, it would make sense. I just don't know if the mil- if he did the assembly before or after the military got there. Like, I don't know if this was just like his assembly where he just decided to say these to things yell at everyone, being instructed to. Yeah, it, it makes sense if it happened after the military and like higher up people got there. And they were like, but "Don't fucking yeah." Spread it this. sounded it sounded from what the kids were saying, and maybe their memory of like the military showing up isn't really there, but. Um, they were like, yeah, we all got back to school and he was held in assembly and told us to shut up. And so we don't know if Jeez. he had been spoken to before or after. Interesting. Mr. Greenwood, who saw it himself, he even asked the PE teacher, who was with the kids outside originally, mm-hmm. uh, to compare stories with him. And the PE teacher refused to speak and like was like didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Greenwood was like, OK, like, I know you fucking saw something. Don't be shady. Um, he later went to a couple students who he was like i know you saw something like what was that and i guess this was before the assembly and the students were able to detail by detail corroborate what he'd seen Mm -hmm. but then 30 minutes later i guess the students had all had that assembly that he was unaware of and when he tried to talk to them about it again they were just like they were like we didn't see anything oh my god how weird and creepy the principal also had a teacher uh, or the headmaster i always i don't know what they call them in australia headmaster we had had both oh we only had a oh i guess we did too but it was like a it it changed like the principal was like the like the headmaster was the entire school and the principal was like for like the middle school or like the high school oh no we just i think the principal and the headmaster were the same thing Hmm. at my school anyway the person in charge uh they also had a 
they got a teacher to monitor the school grounds to make sure no children were like going exploring or leaving class. That sucks to be the one teacher to like roam around by himself outside or themselves. <laughs> like after a UFO just fucking got yeah. here, and he knows what he saw. And, and an ambulance left with one child, and you're like, yeah. um, I guess let's keep an eye out for something. I don't know. Just one teacher, not even the buddy system. Oh, but yeah. So I guess this was in theory so kids wouldn't go exploring uh, when they should be in class but also i think it was because certain kids were being pulled out and questioned Mm. and they wanted to make sure nobody was seeing anything so uh that teacher when he was walking the school grounds he saw through a window that there was the headmaster babs who took the pictures with her camera (gasps) yes babs and then someone in a police-like uniform and they all seemed to be kind of arguing and the guy in the uniform who he had never seen before was demanding that Barbara not only hand over her film, but the entire camera. Damn. If only if it were nowadays, you could have posted that on Snapchat before. Oh, my God. It would have been on to you. a live stream. That's true. <laughs> it like, wouldn't have even. Yeah, it would have been screenshotted by everybody. Before already. anyone even asks, I'm making sure people see this. Yeah. And so the student, uh, students also reported seeing the headmaster or being sent to the headmaster's office. Uh, they report being sent to the headmaster's office and meeting two well-dressed men mm. who questioned them. Men in black. Oh, my God. So scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, in hindsight, one student believes that they were from the government. And they said, quote, oh, and we suppose you think you saw a flying saucer. And the student was like, I didn't say that. I just said I saw an object. And then they were like, and we suppose you saw little green men. Like, they were just being so fucking Whoa, nasty. calm like, down. Like, yo, first of all, it's a kid who just got traumatized. I know we're in the 60s and you don't think, like, kids have, like, functional brains or something. But, like, this child is going through it and you're oh, just, like, God. it's all, like, super gaslighty, super just rude in general. Like, not letting them even say what they saw. Like, if you're going to question them and you... I don't understand that concept because, like, if you want to interrogate them to get answers to help you, why would you make them feel bad and shame them into not giving? They're you probably answers? just trying to. They're probably not getting answers. They're probably just trying to shut them up by making them feel stupid and like probably be like, "You saw nothing." Yeah, the the same students said, "I think it was just their job to squash any idea right. at all, right? That some that we saw something." So they were just trying to make us feel talk about stupid. gaslighting, like you said. I, I know. Mean, yeah. So you're saying this? I'm literally not. But okay. oh, let me guess. You you you're so wild. You also think you saw green little men? It's like I guess not. Damn. Not also, anymore. I didn't to begin with. Also, but, like, yeah. is Tanya okay? Like, what's happening? Yeah, also, where's where's T? Where where's is she? Babs and where's Tanya? <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. So journalists also showed up at the school, and because they were like, we got to get the scoop, but cops immediately told them they had to leave the property. And some of the journalists were able to still get a hold of kids before they got kicked off the property, or maybe they were like waiting after people got out of school if they could grab a kid and grab um, a kid okay grab a kid that's just some interesting verbiage (laughs) there but yes (laughs) just scoop them into the car um and the kids were told not to talk to anybody but one girl she did speak to reporters and every time it aired on tv or like it got reported back in public she would get detention and she was like but it was worth it oh she got (laughs) detention i thought you said attention i was like cool well she got attention and detention I guess if it was worth it. Also, if it's only detention, like, you know, like, I feel like she should have, if like they were trying to be as scary about it as possible, they would have, like, expelled her or something. But also, like, it's not her fault. Like, if they keep replaying the clip, it's not like That's she true. has any control over it. I don't know why they're giving her detention. Like, give detention to the journalists or whatever. I don't, Like, it's not going <laughs> to help to put her in detention. You would think the government would, like, have then gone to the journalists and to been like, pull you that. must get rid of that. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, fun fact, when the journalists were doing research for the Amazon documentary specifically, they actually went to Channel 9 to find that footage that the kid (gasps) went, that the kids spoke on. But the Amazon documentary researcher, I think his name was Shane Ryan, and he, so he went to Channel 9, and he went into the room where it was, like, all the film reels of footage, and he found the, uh, the can or the tin with that date on it and like that story on it but the can when he opened it was empty <gasps> so they did pull it eventually wow so something happened <gasps> um spooky yeah so as for hard copy sources there's one article called the it's called flying saucer mystery school silent and it was in the dandenong journal but that was the only article that he could find and not much else exists uh which feels a lot like this was covered up because why weren't people talking about 350 children seeing a ufo yeah, flying by it seems like a good news story to me <laughs> feels like at least if you've got nothing else to write about you should like throw that as like a side article like a little column um yeah but 
there was uh, people did hear about it. In fact, there was the Victorian Flying Saucer Research Society, and they had even taken ads out in the paper for witnesses to come forward because they wanted to write about it or at least research it, and nobody got back to them. Wow. So these people were put in their like place by the powers that be. They were scared. Yeah. Jeez. And many today in the area still dismiss it as like mass hysteria. But anyone who was a student there who saw this, they stand by their claims like that was a fucking UFO. Like, don't let people trick you. I get it. If like five kids were like, we saw it. And it's like, okay, maybe they just took after each other. But like 350 kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um, where are we? Okay. So there was also one guy who came forward for the Amazon doc named Paul Smith. And he worked near the school at the time. And he says he also saw the UFO because he was on the property or he was nearby it. He says, quote, I looked up and I was facing the object in the sky and I just thought, oh, somebody's got some way of projecting a film or something into the sky because I didn't believe that this was really happening. Whoa. But my boss turned around and saw it and we stood there looking at it for several minutes. <gasps> a few min- a few moments later, a bunch of children came over from the high school and they noticed us and they took some time to decide whether to come onto the property or not. And then they headed to the market. Then army trucks turned up and about 20 guys in khaki uniform or in camo trucks got out. And it was only 20 minutes after the object had appeared in the trees, which was a very quick amount of time. Wow. So he saw it with his buddy, thought it was fake, and then all these kids came over, started talking about it with him. And then not even 20 minutes after he saw it, the military was on site in like 20 trucks. Like, yeah. like there was like and uh so in the oh, I got chills because there's um in I'm the documentary out. <laughs> in the documentary there was also Lieutenant Colonel Smith who says that he was like I guess like the military the, the voice of the military. <laughs> the guy, someone who at least knew what he was talking about to give us some intel. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Smith says that the main units around this town at that time were logistics and reserves, but they wouldn't have been able to respond that quickly. So, so the first responders, if like if there really were this many people and that many trucks in those uniforms with those types of trucks that were able to respond that quickly despite them not really supposed to have been in the area those people were most likely quote quasi civilians who were working in the defense uh, department of defense or the department of supply or the department of research and development oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god he says camo uniforms at that time would have actually been the U.S. Air Force and not Australian <gasps> government. Okay, well, and, ooh, chills. And then you think about it because they already had all the airplanes in the sky. So it's like they knew about this as it was happening before mm-hmm. anybody even reported it. So, like, it, they yep. would have been there. Yep. Ooh. So at the time, uh, the uniforms sound more like U.S. Air Force, which makes sense because there was U.S. military in Australia at the time. Uh, so they could have been the first ones on the scene. Love that the U.S. is like, hold on, we're getting yeah, involved here. We got it. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Apparently the, so one of the reasons people were especially so panicky about UFOs is because the Cold War was in full swing. Right. Space race was a huge influence in pop culture. The sky the world was, was a scary place at that time. The world was primed to like have a UFO attack at some point. Th- or to like look point. up and see something dangerous coming at you, whether it be a bomb or a UFO. Yeah, so a lot of uh, skeptics have said, like, oh, it's mass hysteria during the space race era, and it was a bunch of kids. Like, you see something in the sky you can't recognize, and you don't know, like, certain military aircraft, and, Mm -hmm. like, 
Of course you're going to think it's a UFO. It's not a big deal. But okay, but also all these fucking military people are involved. You're literally being told not to talk about it. Yeah. Like, Channel 9 footage is completely missing. A lieutenant colonel is like, this does not make sense unless they're from the Department of Defense, which is horrific. Which makes it worse, yeah. (laughs) Which makes it worse. And a lot of people do argue also on this side that they lit that the school was right next to an airport so people and the kids were used to seeing aircrafts all the time yeah so they were like this is not what we're used to seeing this is different it's not some like country place that never sees an airplane out in the middle of nowhere yeah exactly um also interesting days before this incident the same type of ufo was reportedly seen in the area two different times oh so it was, that wasn't like its first day He's in Westall. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it's just zooming around. Oh my God. Um, and each of these cases were known about, uh, but none of them were ever officially documented. So like there are, like in both of those other circumstances where someone saw the UFO, it was reported about, but it was removed from public record. Whoa, spooky. So in the 1960s, uh, so there's... The, quote, summary of unidentified aerial sightings reported to Department of Air, which is basically like the every decade they put on a new volume. And it's just the entire like encyclopedia of every report that has ever come through Um. about a UFO sighting. And none of those sightings, although all were reported, never made it into that book. (gasps) So they were like wiped clean from ever being. See, that's there's something wrong with that. Even though they were investigated, yeah, so there's no documentation of That's any of them anywhere. fishy. Uh, so there's one UFO researcher named Bill Chalker, and he uh, has been also researching the Westall UFO incident. And this is a quote from him from the documentary. Given that there seemed to be literally at least hundreds of people involved with this, it had media attention at the time, it appeared to have evidence that there was a military investigation at the time, there was no Westall file. Um, And then another UFO researcher named Keith Basterfield, he says in the documentary, quote, we were looking through hundreds and hundreds of file titles, maybe even thousands in the end. Along the way, we were always looking for files on the Westall incident from 1966. We started off with the Air Force and also within the Department of Defense. We checked out files belonging to the Air Board. We checked out unit files from Air Force bases, from former Department of Civil Radiation, uh, from the Air Safety Bureau, the CSIRO, the Intelligence Files, the AGO, but the net result was we found nothing in this mammoth volume of government documentation, which would be even begin to hint that there was something about Westall in government files. Mm, that is so weird. So that Makes was... no sense. Air Force, Department <laughs> of Defense, Air Board, Air Force Bases, former Department of Civil Radiation, Air yeah. Safety Bureau. That's I'm trying Something to. That's up. ten. That's ten different massive volumes they were looking at for uh, an inkling. Something's up. So one witness named Kevin, who also saw the UFO back in the day when he when it was flying through, he remembers it going out. Uh, he remembered it seeing it go out to the fields, and he tried to go see it the next day after everything had happened because i think he was like yo i am being told left and right that i didn't see this thing i want to go to the field and see what the fuck happened like did i really see this when he got to the grange the next day so like within 24 hours of the ufo incident he this is a quote from him when we came through the area the air force of the in the army stopped us from going through They said, don't come near this area. There were vehicles and they had some sort of instrument, which at the time I thought looked like gardening cans. 
And he was just turned away. He was like, do not come to this area. See, yeah. And they're trying to pretend like, oh, nothing happened. I mean, not very good at it. A week later, he went back again thinking that the military would be gone. And when he went to the spot that they were blocking off because he wanted to see the landing patterns, all of the earth had been completely burned away. <gasps> like all evidence was so completely they just destroyed. Fucking, oh, my God. So the same Lieutenant Colonel earlier who was able to give us some intel. Smith. He... Yes, Lieutenant Colonel Smith. He uh, he was asked, would a military research and development establishment destroy evidence like that? And he said, very plainly, of course they would. <laughs> so he's like, he's yeah. Honest. <laughs> he's like, they were there destroying evidence of something they didn't want uh-huh. people to know. He's nothing if not honest, that Colonel Smith. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's on it. He seemed like he was like team aliens. Yeah. <laughs> In the interview with uh, this researcher, Dr. McDonald, who interviewed Mr. Greenwood, that file that they ended up Mm -hmm. finding later, Mr. Greenwood had also uh, been spoken to by a well-dressed man. Okay. Apparently, uh, this is a quote, that two officers came to his home and threatened him under the Official Secrets Act. It's always the two officers. It's the men in black, dressed well from the government, sketchy AF, no thank you. you. They said that they couldn't have seen a flying saucer over Wessel because there was no such thing as flying saucers. Okay. So just gaslighting the shit and out of Why are you too. at my house, weirdo? Right, exactly. Like, what are you doing? They threatened to tell people that Mr. Greenwood was an alcoholic, even though he wasn't. <laughs> what a rude thing to do. And as a first-year teacher with a career ahead of him, he feared his career would be jeopardized yeah, by speaking out. So he didn't. So That's, that's why so he... fucked up. <laughs> It, I mean, like, so it doesn't exist and I have nothing to worry about. But also you're on my front porch. You're from the government and you're threatening my career. You're calling me a booze hound for no reason. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Greenwood also said, quote, I knew what I saw. It wasn't an aircraft by any stretch of the imagination. And it certainly was not a weather balloon like they were saying it was. My God. James McDonald, who interviewed him, said that or he also interviewed a bunch of other people and they had all said similar things that basically the men in black had come to see them and told them to stay quiet. And they said, quote, you saw something experimental and there's nothing to worry about. Do not talk about it anymore. What the fuck? Dude, I can't wait for the day you cover the men in black. That is such a scary topic to it's, me. It's, <laughs> it really so freaks me out. I feel like you're going to get we're going to get visited if we talk about it. Of course. Ooh, ooh. Westall is still one of the biggest unexplained UFO cases in Australia, and it's Australia's largest mass UFO sighting to date. That's what it is. And the UFO had, quote, a large number of credible witnesses. It was viewed in daylight and attracted a forceful response from the police and the RAAF. Uh, Some of the explanations given for the UFO were that uh, it was an experimental aircraft, mass hysteria, shoddy memory, the space race, uh, priming everybody to think they saw a UFO. It was a classified top secret aircraft, and the most used theory is that it was weather balloons. And also everyone's an alcoholic, probably. And also everyone's an alcoholic. Including Tanya, who's in the ambulance. (laughs) Including the children. Um, But, so most people say it was a weather balloon, but a weather balloon does not move that quickly, and the government wouldn't care about a weather balloon. They wouldn't be coming over being like, you didn't see anything. Like, that doesn't track. I also, like, I I wish that someone was brave enough to go up to the men in black when they were there to be like, then why are you here? Yeah, like, like why? But I think that's when you get killed. That's probably a dangerous move, yeah. I'd be like, you got it, Sonny. 
Yep, um, I am a drunk all the time. <laughs> it's all good. I here. was being just silly. I was just not even here. <laughs> silly old um, me. <laughs> so, uh, also, I said earlier the school was near an air an airport, so people were common with were familiar with common aircrafts flying by. But this one that everyone saw, quote, everyone said straight away that this was not a plane. Like so. Oof. Right away, that's 350 people saying, okay, I I literally am next to an airport all the time. I know what's going on. Wow. In 2006, there was a 40th anniversary held for the uh, witnesses. They had a reunion at the Westall Tennis Club Hall. And in 2011, which was 45 years later, the Amazon documentary and investigator Shane Ryan, they interviewed 30 to 100 of the 300 alleged witnesses. I say 30 to 100 because different websites gave me different answers. Oh, my God. I, it feels like it was closer to probably 30. Sorry, my but... butler's here with my iced tea. Thank you, Blaze. Aww. <laughs> uh, oh, he opened it for me. Thank oh, you. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it's the little it's things It's the little nowadays. things. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so he interviewed probably close to like 30 50 people um that said they were witnesses to the incident and shane ryan the investigator he says it was clear that quote people saw something very strange and unusual and somebody in the government didn't really want the story Mm -hmm. to get out and he said quote i'm so frustrated that after all these years i can't get an official answer about why the powers that be were there that day and why they didn't want the students to talk about what they saw yep that adds so much creepiness to it he said Quote, with its undercurrent of Cold War paranoia, secret U.S. air bases, and a strong military relationship with Australia and America, this raises questions about the acceptability of cover-ups delivered by the government in the interests of national security. And in fact, this leads us to our most likely explanation for what the UFO was if it was not a UFO, although I'm team UFO. For sure. So I talked about Keith Basterfield earlier. He's one of the UFO researchers who went through all those fucking files. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, he thinks that, if anything, the UFO could have been a secret radiation testing blimp for the highball program. Highball? Hibble? I don't know what that Um, is. So it's a program in the 60s where, quote, U.S. Australia, it was a, sorry, it was a, quote, U.S. Australian initiative to monitor atmospheric radiation levels using large silver balloons equipped with sensors, which this was confirmed that these did exist. And so I guess it was also during like Cold War nuclear testing paranoia. We had some sort of program where we were testing radiation in the air. I mean, that would explain why the U.S. Air Force was involved, too. Right. Because maybe they... So... Um, National Archives say that one of those balloons, which I think was called Flight 292, it may have blown off of its course in the middle of it trying to test radiation in the air, and it blew off course towards Westall. Toward recess. (laughs) Towards recess. And one of the reasons why the military would have been so worried about that is because a lot, well, some of the files suggest that there was government concern about how dangerous these balloons were if they got near a populated area. Since oh, they were lo- great. Since they were literally testing radiation. Filled with children. <laughs> and literally it's going towards a school of like 400 kids. Oh my god. So if the balloon did go off course towards a city, it makes sense that the military would be chasing after it and demanding silence because they didn't want the government, they didn't want people knowing probably that they were tell on us. (laughs) Don't tell on us that we fucked up. And also don't tell that we're testing radiation anyway. Like, like, like they don't, because I think they were already so, the world was already so scared about like Mm -hmm. nuclear bombs at any moment. So they were probably trying to keep it hush hush. And then a bunch of kids were going to like describe a big 
bomb the testing exact balloon. thing they saw. Yeah. <laughs> so Keith Basterfield, he found records of several uh, highball flights. But interestingly enough, the documentation for flight 292, those launch, uh, the launch paperwork for that cannot be found. So oh. I don't know if they just completely wrote that off. I don't know if it's because it has to do with an alien story. I don't know if it's because they didn't want their own bosses Cover finding up. out that something went off course. Yeah. Like maybe they were just covering themselves up, not like a whole alien secret. Yeah. But anyway, they never found out what it is. The best guess is that it was just a secret radiation testing blimp. I think that's fascinating too, though. I mean, I love when it's because I feel like government secrets and cover-ups are almost sometimes just as creepy as yeah. alien stories. Like. Ooh, gave you a little bit of both. But yeah. uh, today uh, at the site of the encounter, which like, let's be clear, though, like there was still something that like burnt into the ground. They destroyed Fair. the evidence. Well, like, if it's covered in radiation, maybe the, the, the footage went missing. So like, who knows what it could have been? Oh, yeah. you're right. If it had radiation on it, maybe. I don't know. But uh, where the where it is said to have landed today um, on the Grange Reserve, there is now a memorial UFO park with UFO themed <laughs> play equipment to honor the incident. yes so. i love that they embraced it for recess time like now we can all <laughs> again play it's a full the circle <laughs> complete full circle so uh that is the story of the westall ufo incident oh i love it oh my gosh that's so creepy and i love that it ended with like oh they just saw like not with like oh they just saw something but like they might have seen a secret government project that the men in black did try to cover up like it's still creepy yeah. i mean even if that is what happened mm. oh spooky stuff I just did a guest spot on Lady to Lady podcast um, on yeah. the Exactly Right Network, and they do like a they do like sleepover games, and one of them was, um, "Who's your favorite alien?" And I was like so taken aback, <laughs> and I didn't know what to I say. Lo- you were I like how of all people, like not only were you taken aback, but also like that was your moment, and, and I like, felt you- so stupid. I was like, I don't even know. I'm so overwhelmed by this question. Who did you say? I, I literally was like, can somebody just list aliens? And then like, we couldn't really do it. Like, I don't know. It was. It's I like how t- they were going to give you a question. They were not prepared to answer. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, the only one I can think of is E.T. And that's such a boring answer. So I was like. I I think like, um, like if I had to pick something right away, I would pick like if I were going the classic route, I'd say Marvin the Martian. If I yeah. were going the creative route, I'd say Flubber. Wait, Flubber was not an alien. He was a creation. He's an invention. Hmm. Um, I guess I'd say Marvin the Martian. I was I said I, the, I said the only ones I can think of are Marvin the Martian and ET, and then um, I mean, see, like the real answer I would have given was like the Pleiadians, but I was like, I don't need to go there. I don't need to say, <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm the pretty lizard sure people. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> nobody needs to know how. Like uh, an Akashic Record reader told me that my ancestors were from an alien race. Like they don't need that right now. You it's should. Too much. I, it would have been funny though if like they thought they were really throwing a curveball at you and you just like said something like that and then also like ripped your human face off to show your reptilian body it's actually me (laughs) i'm a favorite alien is myself welcome to gemini season oh welcome it's me um anyway yeah i just thought that was so funny i was like because i was saying how much i love ufo stories so it's great timing oh my Um, gosh very wonderful When, uh, where did we go? Oh, one of the things I did for my, um, birthday, sorry. Okay. One of the things we did for my birthday was Allison and I went to the outlet mall Mm -hmm. and at the outlet mall was five below. 
Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to a Five Below? Yes, we've talked about this every time we go on tour. I fucking love Five Below. Well, I, I, for- I forgot about their um, pieces of candy for $1 situation. <gasps> yes. Do you know what was one of the options for the vat of candy? You could get 10 pieces for a dollar. Do you know what one of them oh. was? You did mention Charleston Chews, I think. Yes. But I don't- yes, you texted me about it that night. I love a good Charleston <laughs> chew. Me too. That's funny. It's Renee's and my favorite candy. We're stocking up for our baby moon. Oh my God. I love Charleston chews. My dad used to eat them all the time. And I used to think like, wow, what an old man candy. And it then, is. And <laughs> have you had them frozen? Yes. We would always freeze them. So good. God, it's so okay. That's so good. funny. I love Charleston chews and like nobody ever gets it. So I don't know why they like, why are those not bigger? Or like, hi, Jan. When did Jan's someone. Here. When did someone decide the like, you know what, we don't need to sell that everywhere anymore? Like, instead, we need like a Mars bar. Well, I feel like they're not, Moon, June, that's not food. That's a fake plant. Um, I feel like they're not uh, popular because they're kind of weird texture. Like, they're not the classic, like, just a sugar bar. I don't know. I don't know. It's a chocolate covered marshmallow. How can you not want that? I know. They're delicious. Every time Renee and I would have like a bad day at school or like have like, I don't know, relationship troubles. We would always sit in a parking lot and like eat Charleston shoes. Where would you get Charleston shoes though? Because I feel like, like today, CBS. I don't think they have them anymore at CBS, do they? Oh, we used to get them at CBS. I don't know. Hi, Interesting. Jim, I feel like. He's a cuddle bug. He's, this, it's my time to shine. He really wants to eat this fake plant, actually. I, uh, no, I used to think of, I used to think they were more accessible, but now I'm pretty sure like Hi, that's Jim. an Amazon purchase. I'm trying to get the camera here because he's really, he has things to say. <laughs> Ow. Okay. He was just saying, I fucking hate Charleston shoes. Can we get back he, to our regular programming? He probably programming? did. He also kicked me in the boob. Ouch. Okay. Well, this was our classic candy break. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have now for you a crime story. Um, we do? Oh, my we God. We do. We are changing Shocking. things up, Christine. Listen, it's I like crazy. to keep it spicy for you. So mm. you're welcome. Thank you. I like um, the spice. Juno's over there biting into a piece of tape, so... Everyone's having a good time. He's having... He's causing some problems. All right. This is the story. It's a bummer. I have a bummer for you today, but Christine, it was going to be the second story. When can I win? When can <laughs> I can't, win? and you should know that by now. I... It was going to be the second story, that because we're recording two episodes, and then I switched them, because I was like, I'd rather end on a... They're both bummers, obviously, but I feel like this one's just kind of ends on more of a bummer so we're gonna it's go with this one more first. worse i know it's hard to say which one's worse worse but um we're gonna start with this one and this is <laughs> okay. the story of ronnie long okay okay and it takes place back in the 70s so we're doing an old-timey episode today i guess So we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, April 25th, 1976. A call comes into the police at 9.30 p.m. On the other end of the line is white 50-year-old widow Sarah Bost, and she's reporting a traumatizing forced entry into her home. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. I feel like it only gets more terrible now after this because that also bad. That alone was my the only gasp I I could muster. And now I I used it up way too early. Oh, I wish it ended with. And it turns out it was just a surprise party. (laughs) And Sarah had a great time. And Sarah said, never mind. And she was no longer a widow because her partner came came back back. from the dead. Yeah, perfect. But but no, we're it's just bummer central. So great. Juniper, stop it. What year is this again? Sorry. 76. Okay. Um, okay. So she described how a man entered the home, put a knife to her throat, and demanded money from her. Ugh. 
When she told him she didn't have any money, the man became angry, cursed her, threw her to the ground, ripped her clothes off, beat her, and raped her. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ten minutes into the attack, Bost got a phone call, which alarmed the intruder, and he fled, leaving Bost unclothed and terrified. She didn't think it was safe to stay in the house, so she darted to a neighbor's house, and the neighbor called 911 for her. She explains then and there to her neighbor that, quote, an African-American man had just raped me. As the police arrive, she's quickly rushed off to the Cabarrus Memorial Hospital, and the Concord Police Department gets involved, and the investigation begins as to who this intruder slash rapist was. Mm. So they start by searching her house, as well as interviewing her at the hospital, and she gives a specific and detailed description of her attacker, outlining his ethnicity, saying the man was, quote, yellow or a really light-skinned black male, giving his height, his facial hair, and what he was wearing. The, rep- uh, the, re- report, blah, 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 the report records her having said that the man's height was five foot five, five, five foot five. Sorry, this is so confusing. Five foot five, five, five foot. Jesus, am I, five foot five, five foot five to five foot nine. Sorry, I don't know why that was so hard for me so, to say. So, oh, in between five and six feet. Let's just sleep it at that. In between five, 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 nine. Okay. Uh, wow. Slender build, slim hips. Subject was plain spoken, used correct English, and it, which, like, yikes. Oh, my and, God. Also, like, what is this being called yellow? Yeah, that's not good either. It's, I know. This is At all first, not First, I was right. like, this was in the police report, and then I was like, I mean, 76. Not that that's any better, but, like, it's, I guess, less Makes jarring. more sense than today. Than you know, today, that, yeah. That it was said, yeah. Yeah, so, um, plain spoken, no, uh, correct English, yikes, and a time spoke very softly. No speech defect, accent, or noticeable brogue evident. Subject was wearing a dark waist-length leather jacket, blue jeans with a dark toboggan pulled over his head, could possibly have been wearing gloves. Okay. And that was the description. So while Boss was still at the hospital, two police officers presented her with a series of 13 photographs of 13 black men aged between 20 and 30. Boss didn't recognize any of them to be her attacker. Meanwhile, they're investigating her house, like just searching the crime scene, and two pieces of evidence have been discovered. They Mm. find burned out matches on the bedroom floor near a window ledge and a shoe print found on the banister, which they are able to lift an impression of. Really? shoe print. Interesting. Also, so do the um, matches imply that this person was waiting for her to get home? Um, Yes, or at least was smoking, like there. Yeah. Okay. So, meanwhile, and that ends up coming back later, yeah. Okay. So, uh, several weeks later, Boss is back at her house and is contacted by officers inviting her to attend district court. They have a picture of the man that they think might be her attacker, but they don't want to show her the picture. They decide instead to invite her to the courthouse and tell her somebody who's coming into the courthouse today for a different court case may be your attacker. <gasps> if you see someone who's familiar, let us know. Oh, it's fascinating and weird am approach. I, I was going to say, am I allowed to be really uh, skeeved out by that? Like, it's like, I mean, I think you're allowed to be whatever whatever you want. Mm, um, feel, I'm not going to stop any emotions it here. It feels, I feel, it feels icky, but also innovative. Like, <laughs> it's like. It's weird, right? Like, it feels really, like, not cool, but also it's like, I guess, 
showing a photo and being like, is this the guy is also not really Yeah, it feels so. like she was accident like she didn't know she was part of like a new mind hunter test of like yes, let's see exactly. how psychologically you actually find the person in the wild. It's like being primed for this. I mean it feels like a tactic in like SVU where they walk somebody through uh-huh. the police station knowing that the other person is there to see their reaction. Yep. It seems very like test yeah, like a test. So they say he might be there. If he is, let us know. Obviously, she's nervous because she doesn't know if the, her attacker is going to be there. So she hesitantly agrees to go, but only if she's allowed to wear a disguise. So on May 10th, 1976, Boss, wearing a, wet, a red wig and sunglasses, heads to the courthouse with police. Okay. Nice nice, man, nice disguise, by the way. Yeah, red wig. Yeah. I'm, I'm into it. That's Why fun. not? Yeah. Um, a man named... Ronnie Long, who's a 20-year-old cement mason, is called to the stand about an hour into Boss arriving. He's wearing a flowered leisure shirt, very 70s in mm, my mind, Yeah, a medium-length brown leather jacket, and is being seen for a case of trespassing. So he'd actually been arrested on April 29th in relation to him trespassing in the public park near his home, which turned out to be a mile away from Boss's home. So when they arrested him um, and saw his leather jacket, they were basically like, Maybe this is the guy because mm-hmm. it's the same area, same night. We're bringing him in for an arrest. Right. And uh, when they were taking pictures and fingerprinting him, they noticed uh, they noted the uh, leather jacket and they also noticed black gloves. So they were like, well, maybe this is the same guy. Uh, also, like kudos to the department who was able to be thinking of so many cases all at once and find little commonalities to be like oh yeah to like connect them i feel like if i were at first i'd be a terrible detective but i would be so focused on like one case at a time i wouldn't even realize that they might be be like to the same person like this guy trespassed in a park we got to focus on this case yeah yeah (laughs) no like i i would not even think like oh maybe he's also the guy who did this other thing with the other case we're paying attention to so i appreciate that they uh were overlapping and seeing if there was any commonalities you won't appreciate it for long, but oh. I'm glad you appreciate it for now. Never mind. Um, after police had arrested him, they noted his leather jacket, black gloves, did the kind of thing of like, oh, maybe it's the same guy. So they, when they brought him into court, they brought uh, Sarah Bost along to look and see if maybe she recognized anyone. Mm. So he, Ronnie, had been in a suspect in an investigation a year earlier in 1975 when his social security card had been found at another rape and burglary crime scene in D.C., However, it turns out he had actually been innocent because his wallet had been stolen and someone had taken his social security card, which I'm learning now maybe I shouldn't carry my social security card around in my wallet. Took 30 years. Should have learned, learned that a long time ago. But, 30 years. Uh, it took me until now. Uh, and so someone had taken his social security card and then committed a crime. And so he ended up being uh, innocent of that. So he had nothing to do with it. Okay, never mind. I feel awful. <laughs> why just because i was like oh wow like, i was just so ready to like get this guy in jail <laughs> well we don't know what's happening yet or i know i as the story goes so far i'm i i don't know just keep going just keep going just keep well going. i think i also primed you to say uh you'll regret it so it's my fault so anyway he had been a suspect in investigation now he's being arrested for this trespassing case and a disguised boss points him out to the police and says it's him she later explained, there was no doubt in my mind that this person, Ronnie W. Long, was the person who entered my house. Hmm. So, returning to the police station, police allegedly put Ronnie Long's picture amongst a series of other suspects, and again, Boss chose his picture out of the lineup. 
It's worth noting, though, that Ronnie Long was the only one in the images who was wearing a leather jacket. Okay. So I feel like that also kind of... You know how when... I don't know how much crime TV you watch, but you know how when they do I watch those none. lineups? Okay. <laughs> well, you are my crime source and that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, fun fact, a lot of times in the crime show lineups, uh, I say crime show because I don't know how real this is to how true this is in real life. But if the victim describes, say, like an, a tattoo on the person's wrist, they will put it on everybody's wrist. So oh, it's not okay. like, oh, that's the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I just saw an episode where that happened. So in my mind, I'm like, they should have put everyone in a leather jacket because you can't just say. Right. Because if you know the attacker had a leather jacket and then you're looking at 13 guys and only one's wearing a leather jacket, like you're primed to be like, well, that's the guy, right? Like it just doesn't exactly track to me that that would be a fair way to go about it, but whatever. So she says, that's definitely him. She is fully convinced and Ronnie Long quickly becomes suspect number one in the investigation. However, he had an alibi. So on the night of April 25th, he was at home with his mom speaking to his girlfriend and his young son on the phone. His attorneys also pointed out to investigators there was a lack of any evidence tying him to the crime scene. Basically, the only evidence that prosecution had to work with was boss adamant certainty that that was her attacker. That was like the only real piece of evidence Mm -hmm. they had. So there are a few red flags already, but here is the first big one. So the... Initial statement, remember I at the, you noted it too, at the hospital, she said her attacker was, quote, yellow or a really light-skinned black male. Mm-hmm. Well, Ronnie yep. had very, very dark skin. And so that was the first oh. kind of like, this doesn't fit her description. Wow, this whole time I was really just imagining that he at least looked like the yeah, person. Yeah, he at she least was... looked. Wow, okay. Did it fit the description? Nope. So, exactly. That was the first like big red flag of like, wait, 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 this doesn't even fit her description you just saw leather jacket and fucking went for it yeah yeah exactly Hmm. um but her accusation was enough for him to be trialed for the attack so a date was set for september 27th 1976 and there's a website uh written by with an article written by ken otterberg and it outlines how the summer before the trial was like a big mess basically so it was full of demonstrations and protests surrounding his arrest Uh, The Cabarrus County Sheriff and other members of law enforcement reviewed a list of potential jurors, and they kept disqualifying people from being called for jury duty, but they never kept a record of why. They Mm. would just kind of dismiss people, and they didn't say why. But the 49-person jury pool only contained two black residents, and an all-white jury ended up being seated for the trial. Wow. And at the time, Cabarrus County was approximately 20% black. So it was, like, totally (gasps) not... No, completely just a big, big shit show to begin with. Wow. Okay. Okay. So the protests saw 300 people rallying outside the courthouse. Protesters shouted, we're going to let them rich white folks that run this town know they're going to free Ronnie Long. Another warned, we're going to let this Klansman judge get an idea. We're going to start dealing with all these racists. It just was a huge mess. Oh, my God. A huge mess. Protests, just very controversial from day one. Yeah. And that was even before the all-white jury was announced. So when that was announced, obviously more fuel was added to the fire. And it almost felt like Ronnie Long was being like persecuted before the trial had even begun. So wow. as the trial began, courthouse tension was like super high. Um, on the side of the defense, all the spectators were black. And on the side of the prosecution, all the spectators were white. It was just like very... Heated. 
heated split wow. down the middle. And then again, on top of that, the jurors were also all white. And in court, Boss testified to the jury that she was certain that Long was her attacker. However, oddly enough, she once again changed her testimony from her original statement by saying her attacker definitely had a mustache, which is something she never said in the oh, original come statement. On. Okay. Sorry. And of course, Ronnie had a mustache. <laughs> so it's like, okay. Where did that detail come from? That wasn't even part of the original statement. But So I'm torn. Also, I'm eating a Jolly Rancher. So sorry. No, go for it. Live your dream. But I'm torn because it's like, I understand when you're traumatized and something horrible has happened to you. You may not know all the details. You may not remember everything. And you're just trying to piece it together. But also, this is feeling a little too coincidental on the side of Ronnie as well. Of like, Yeah, I mean. So I feel, I feel for her, but also I feel for him. And very yes, different ways. It seems like this is being taken advantage of by the powers that be. And it seems like they led this, this situation, they led her into the situation to be, mm-hmm. they said, he might be here. He's wearing a leather jacket. Is this him? She said, yes. I mean, it. they should have just said, this is the initial statement. We should stick with that. Witness testimony, as we know, is like so not reliable um it also feels like they should have just ran with original protocol at this point like just yes yeah so it's just like not reliable to be adding details later on once you already have somebody in mind that you're saying oh yeah he definitely had a mustache it's like since when since you mm-hmm. saw ronnie like that doesn't mm-hmm. it just doesn't fit so according to clclt.com Uh, which is like a local Charlotte publication, Ronnie's girlfriend and the mother of their two-year-old son took the stand testifying that Ronnie had called her just after 9 p.m. and spoke to her for about 45 minutes, ending the call around 9.45, which was the time uh, the victim said the attack took place. And apparently Long's mother also recalled interacting with him during that time frame, testifying that he came home around 8.30, went upstairs to his room, talked to his girlfriend, then his son was on the phone, Mm -hmm. and... His mother even picked up the phone and talked to her grandson for a few minutes. And uh, he stayed on the phone a little while longer. And he came downstairs about 1025 and told her he was heading to a party in Charlotte. So, like, basically, according to both of their testimonies, there was no way he could have gotten out of the house in that time and attacked somebody by 945 and gotten back into the house. It just didn't fit. Okay. So... During the trial, Ronnie's defense team brought up that hospital records indicated that the victim fought off her attacker. Again, we should go back to the hospital records the day this happened, when everything was written down, her testimony was taken. Like, that's the most reliable. Months or years later, that's not the time to be like. Yeah, you have a statement from when it just happened. And like, yes, exactly. When he did not have a mustache. And also, yeah, he was he suddenly didn't a, have, like right. yellow, and also light skinned, but also dark skinned later, like, and grew a mustache sometime. Yeah, just like the it's just all over the place. Yes. So again, hospital records indicated that the victim had fought off her attacker, even bending back her. Okay, sorry, bending back her fingernails, <gasps> trying to scratch. Him. I get it. I get why you have to say it though. But witnesses testified that Long was completely unscathed when they saw him. They saw no scratches, no bruises, no blood on his body. But unfortunately, none of this amounted to anything because despite Ronnie's alibi, the key points made by the defense and the fluctuation in Bost's statement, uh, the fact that Bost had identified him in a courtroom was a clincher for the jury. And on October 1st of 76, Ronnie Long was found guilty of the crimes, I told you, it's a bummer, uh, against Sarah Bost. And was this, was his, was like his defense just not good enough because it was all 
hearsay no, or because they, it mean, was like like because no just the jury just decided it's not good enough i mean they made all the above points they said she's changing her testimony they said uh he has a full alibi he had no scratches on him he there's nothing tying him to the scene but because she said that's the guy they just kind of i mean it sounds so like salem witch trial like you can't talk your way out of it you know what i mean like it sounds so <sighs> impossible wow to win you're um, right this was a bummer sorry is there so, did we well you just go ahead first I, I'll, don't ask me any questions because yeah. i don't want to answer them now and just make it worse for everybody perfect <laughs> so, I get it. Does that answer your question? Okay, it great. sure does. So <laughs> it actually <laughs> sure does. Yeah. So on October 1st, he was found guilty of the crimes against Sarah Bost. The spectators erupted. One half was relieved. The other was pissed, obviously. As James Fuller, Ronnie Long's defense attorney, would comment, whites cheered, blacks jeered, and cried in outrage. So Ronnie Long was sentenced to two life sentences and was quickly sped off to the Harnett Correctional Institution in Lillington, North Carolina. And um, as we can probably guess by now, he wasn't going there thinking like, oh, shit, I got caught. He was thinking, I had nothing to do with this. I'm innocent. I, mean, I know it. two life sentences. Two life sentences. You know it would be a fun game? And by fun, uh, I mean literally so terrible. Not fun. Just like fun and fun fact. It's like just every time one. you cover a story that's like clearly... Uh, clearly based in racism you mm-hmm. should just also talk about a white person who got the same charge and how little time they did in jail oh yeah absolutely there's a lot of those examples of like drug charges and marijuana possession i have a hunch a white man would have not gotten two life sentences with no zero evidence that they were there with an all-white jury yeah probably not mm-hmm so, because of his innocence and the belief that the real truth would be revealed eventually, he assumed, like, I'm going to be in jail for a little while, but we'll we'll work our way out of this. But, as we know, the American justice system isn't quite all it's cracked up to be. It's not? Um, <laughs> what? I know. I, I need you to sit down for this. Oh, wait. Hang you're on. Sitting. Oh, my God. I don't want you to choke on your Jolly Rancher, but I have some big news for you. My Jolly and... Rancher is an anti-Jolly Rancher, by the way. I am... <laughs> The last thing I'm feeling right now is jolly. It's not doing its job. <laughs> it's not working. Oh, I thought you meant you finished it, but no, it's just not doing its its task. It's just a rancher. Just a sad just- rancher. <laughs> it is kind of a weird a rancher. We don't need another candy break. I'm sorry. Um, well, well so- to make this happy at the end, we'll look up the etymology of jolly rancher. How about that? Actually, that's a fun idea. Okay. Good idea. Yeah. So... Um, he, he thinks, oh, it'll be a few years and hopefully we can work our way out of this. Well, nope, because Ronnie basically spent several decades of his life <gasps> behind bars. Wait, so it never even got... So just, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I'll oh, tell you. Christine. <laughs> so, uh, outraged and wanting to seek, obviously, real justice, Ronnie Long's team worked to file petitions for the court to re-examine the evidence, but no matter how much he and his lawyers continued to fight for his innocence and freedom. No one was having it. No one took it seriously. Uh, the first th- breakthrough that happened was in 2005, 30 years after his trial. Oh, my God. That's the first. The first step. Motherfucker. Okay. Sorry. I keep hitting yeah. my microphone. Uh, oh, well, I mean. Out of anger. I, I just any, want to Anyone swat can blame something. you for that. Yeah. So in 2005, first step, a petition was submitted to review the biological evidence from the crime scene because we got DNA testing now. Mm-hmm. 
So thankfully, the judge in charge of that petition granted the review of all the evidence and investigators got looking into like anything that could have been preserved that would have DNA evidence on it and might exonerate him. Um, interestingly, there was a whole lot of evidence filed by a detective, Van Eisenhower, that, huh, fun fact, hadn't been flagged at the original trial. Oh, my God. For example, there were hair samples collected at the crime scene that didn't match Long's. Oh, my one. God. Wow. So it's just it's blatant just racism. Just like. It's just bad Evidence news. that not only, it's not even like you didn't have evidence. It's that evidence countered the entire argument. Exactly. Like they wanted to put him away for this whether Whoa. the evidence proved it or not. Okay. Uh, there was also clothing fibers that didn't match Long's. And, fun fact, the burned matches I mentioned did not match any of Long's matchbooks, which he had on his person. And they looked at, and none of them matched up. Whoa. So. Oh, my God. Wow. It just got, you're right, so much worse. Darker. Yeah. Uh, none of this evidence had ever been shared with the jury. Um, in fact, when Detective Van Eisenhower took the stand in the trial, he said he had only taken Long's shoes and shoe impressions. So, like, blatantly lying on the stand. Um, so, again, the protocol was just completely ignored in a very Totally, way. totally. Okay. Thrown in tr- the trash. Uh, it was also flagged that originally there was existence of a rape kit that also wasn't presented at the trial. Um, but unlike the evidence, this just kind of had vanished, which not shocking to me that a rape kit just never resurfaced yep. and disappeared and was never tested. So that's the least shocking of all this, I guess. Um, but according to CLCLT.com, in a pretty incredible turn of events, the original prosecutor who had been working for Bost to put Ronnie Long away now made a point to testify on Long's behalf. And he admitted that he didn't remember seeing Eisenhower's reports saying if he had seen them, he would have turned them over to the defense, even though it worked against him. So mm. seemingly, if he's telling the truth, this was the police just not sharing the evidence with the prosecutors or Whoa. anybody, just hiding it. Oh, my God. So when Long found out about all this, which turns my stomach to think 30 years later, you find out that all along they had somebody else's hair and clothing fibers, not yours. Uh, he said, I wish I had known this in 76. Lord, I wish I had known this in 76. It's just heartbreaking. Um, but even with all this new evidence, the courts were still just rejecting his petition to <laughs> appeal this. Uh, the county superior court ruled that it didn't matter about the new items. They wouldn't have changed the jury's mind, they said. Okay. What? <laughs> Wait, yep. who said that? The county superior court. It wouldn't have changed. So that's a racist person right there. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just like, in case anyone didn't <laughs> catch that, like, oh, so it wouldn't have mattered no matter, even if there was evidence proving it was not him. It, They're just basically saying, oh, it wouldn't have made a difference. Just throwing it out. I just keep wanting it to blame this uh, this whole story on one racist person who like didn't hand over no, evidence. No, it's, it's the system. It's, we all know I it. know. I know. Unfortunately. Um, I just however, keep wanting when- there to be like, some someone to blame not like a whole fucking thing to blame it's just welcome to you know america (laughs) i know i know um yep so however one judge stephanie d thacker decided to open an appeal to the entire fourth circuit so at least we got steph on our side of course a woman Um, shocking (laughs) however so long's case was then returned to the district court for a retrial and at this point it was now 2016 so this is 11 years later that finally they're getting this they've petition to re-examine the evidence and it took 11 years to get it back on trial um so in 2016 yeah it's disgusting okay um in 2016 stephanie d thacker wrote 
That evidence has now trickled out, revealing the truth that Mr. Long has declared for decades. He should not have been found guilty. Today, the court remands to give the state yet another opportunity to disclose the evidence it should have disclosed nearly half a century ago. Based on the record in this case over the last 15 years, I would not be surprised if more evidence does turn up. But since the evidence is sufficient today to grant Mr. Long the relief he has so long pursued, I would not wait for further proceedings on remand. 44 years is an unconscionably long period to wait for justice. It is time. So, Ronnie was released from prison on August 27th, 2020. So, like... Like, not even a year year ago. ago. (laughs) Yeah. He exited the prison wearing a three-piece suit and a COVID mask that read, Free Ronnie Long. So, that alone is just such a jarring description. He went into prison in 76. And came out when we were using COVID COVID masks. Like, near the end of the year. You know, I mean, it's... Dare I ask how old he was? Oh, I'll tell you. So his family and supporters, whom Long described as his inspiration, were there to greet him after, I mean, decades. So he told reporters that for his first meal out of prison, he wanted macaroni and cheese, beef ribs, a salad, and some lemonade. (laughs) I'm like, get this man a bottle of your finest champagne. Oh, my God. Give him Dom Perignon and then also literally like a a house made of mac and cheese. Are you kidding? Oh, also that. Yeah. made of mac and cheese. Oh, my God. So Long also commented on how the justice system failed him. He said, I'm disappointed, really, in a system that is supposed to be about right and wrong. One day I believed I would be standing where I'm standing right now, and I never gave up that hope. Never give up. That's so, so unfortunately, fucking sad. Yeah, it gets worse. So what? unfortunately, <laughs> So it's, it's like his story. Oh, well, I'll just tell you. Unfortunately, during the 44 years he had been incarcerated, his grandmother, two sisters, and father had all died. Uh, his mother, Elizabeth, also died six weeks prior to his release. <gasps> oh, my God. And her last words were, is Ronnie home yet? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm in trouble now. Em. I'm sorry. Christine, that, it's just, it's just so sad. Mm. It's just so mm. sad. It is. Um, Long commented on this saying, I wanted her to be a part of this. I hated that she's not here. Hopefully she's watching down on me. She can tell my dad and my sisters that I made it out. Uh... And he didn't do anything. He trespassed in a park, quote unquote, trespassed in a public park, whatever that even means. Like literally whatever that means, he walked in a park at, at dark. That's it. I can. And his wallet was stolen. And how many, how many white people do you know who have trespassed through a park? Well, yeah, me. Literally me. Raising my hand. Yeah. Who carries their social security card in their wallet? Me. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Long's release came on a special day for his wife, Ashley. It was actually her birthday. Um, interestingly, the couple had originally met in October of 2013. Ashley was a criminal justice and criminology student at the University of North Carolina and had written to Ronnie wanting to help and included her phone number in her letter. And after multiple letters back and forth, she realized she was developing feelings for him. Mm. So she remembers that a few months after their meeting, while she was sat in McDonald's using the free Wi-Fi to work on Long's case. Okay, fair. <laughs> Call it. Tell me you're in college. Yeah. <laughs> tell me you're a broke college student. Yeah. Um, so she was working on the case at a McDonald's and her phone rang. It was him on the other line. And she blurted out, I think I'm falling in love with you. And it's weird. <gasps> Can you imagine? Yo. Okay, but can you imagine a phone call like that? That'd be so nice. And then he responded, I'm like, the old man had some game, I guess. 
Oh my gosh. Uh, she suggested they get married. So uh, what a suggestion! Was, what, a, <laughs> what a suggestion! Like at just, the McDonald's. Hey, I'm at McDonald's. Also, I love you. Also, marriage. What do you think? Also, my free Wi-Fi is running out. You need to answer <laughs> now. This is the most romantic proposal at the McDonald's. Um, <laughs> it's a McMarriage. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh, um, that was bad. Oh, oh God. Okay, so. They got McMarried, uh, even though nobody in either of their families or attorneys supported this. Um, and they were married on August. They were sorry. They were McMarried on August 18, 2014. <laughs> uh, her devotion has no bounds, apparently, because she even has tattoos that say the following. Free Ronnie Long, <gasps> Ronnie's prisoner number, and May 10th, 1976, which is the date that he was pointed out by Bost in court. Wow. Uh, in his okay, floral shirt. That's a homie, though. Like, that's... She is... Oh, Yeah. That's committed. I'm so glad that he found somebody. Yeah, she's fucking committed. And and she helped him get out, which is the coolest part. So Ronnie's release was considered by Ashley as the best birthday present in the world. And she said, I think I'm still dreaming. Oh. And now they live together in Durham, North Carolina. How nice is that? Um, How old is he? Okay, so. I just want to get mad again. That he was. Uh, He's 65. Wow, his... And he was in prison for 44 years. So I mean, what, I know 21? 44 isn't your technically your whole life, but you're... 20, he, he was 21 when he was incarcerated, so and now he's 65. Much of your life was taken from you. Because, so for what? He he quotes about it, actually, the exact in a very eloquent way that I probably couldn't do, so I'll just read that to you. Um, he, he's still, of course, uh, battling a major injustice, which is that despite being wrongfully imprisoned for 44 years on a rape conviction, North Carolina is only compensating him for 15 of those years. <gasps> <laughs> they don't even give him the macaroni house. Oh my God. I mean, um, that's, I mean, that's crisis one, I think. No, I'm just kidding. That's, just first kidding. of all, yeah, that's at least it's they could fucking do. crisis number three, I think, at least. It's crisis, it's a cri- it's a crisis. Jeez, 15 out of, so not even all, like, not even half, a third, barely a third, barely a third. So by North Carolina, anyone wrongfully convicted of a crime can receive $50,000 for each year they were in prison. But the catch is that it caps at 750,000. So that means that Long, who is 65, will not be compensated for 29 years of his time in prison. Oh, my God. And wait, I'm sorry. Hang on. He, so the rule is if you are wrongfully imprisoned. Yes. I you, maybe I'm just like stupid when it comes to the economy, but why on earth should there be a cap to that? Why like I You'd think there shouldn't be, but just legally they put one on there, so legally they should take it off. I don't understand. Legally they should take Holy it but legally shit. he shouldn't be there to begin with. So okay, I well, don't there you go. I don't think legally changes anything, but Long told USA Today, you took my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and my 50s, and you're still talking about how this is worth that. Oh my god. So Although what happened to Sarah on April 25th, 1976, Sarah Bost, it should not have happened. Obviously, it was horribly traumatic, something nobody should ever go through. Um, What happened to Ronnie Long also should not have happened. No. Uh, In reference to the National Registry of Exonerations, black Americans make up 40% of known exonerations, and black folks are also seven times more likely to be wrongfully convicted of murder than white folks. And this wasn't even a murder trial. Just fun fact. Nope. Um. So that's that horrible bummer of a story. I mean, I'm very happy he's out. Clearly, this is a recent update. Um, but it just makes me think of all the people who are still it makes my stomach turn in prison. I feel yeah. ill. That's really awful. 
That's... It's disgusting. Uh, and it just makes you think, like, how often does this happen? A lot. And there's nothing you can do to make up for it. I mean, when someone loses... Like, I can't even... There's no way you could process what no. he's gone through and what he's lost. Yeah. Wow. So... Wow. That's that. Fun fact. Great. I'm Sorry. Yeah. Thank God we've got a whole other story for you to potentially bum me out after we record this. And what's a Jolly Rancher? <laughs> Tell me quickly. Uh, well, I did find out that um, so I found out something also <laughs> disgusting about Jolly Ranchers as it was in my mouth, which freaks me out, is that it is Uh-oh. not vegan. <laughs> it is. What's in it? Oh, because it's gelatin. Okay. So, that, so you know what's in gelatin. Oh, I know what's in it. I mean, it's still disgusting. Yeah. But yeah. Um, a lot of candy. And apparently there is a whole crisis about the fact that the Lemon Jolly Ranchers have been discontinued a couple years ago. What the ago. fuck is a Lemon Jolly Rancher? I didn't even know that existed. I don't know. I thought you'd care because of lemon. But uh, <laughs> so the reason it's called Jolly Ranchers is because it's meant to suggest a friendly Western company. Oh, kind of like the Jolly... Isn't Jolly... Jolly Green Giant? Jolly Roger. But Jolly Rogers is like... Jolly Rogers is like the... The drink? Pirate symbol. No. Oh. I'm thinking of Roy Rogers. <laughs> Never mind. Stop it. <laughs> Jolly Roger is like the is like the flag that a pirate ship has. Oh, uh, with the little uh, the skull. Yes, mm-hmm. skull and crossbow. Well, is it to imply that they're friendly pirates who won't steal all that's of your stuff I'm and saying. kill you? Well, that's what I don't totally get. Well, apparently that's what a Jolly it means. They're about, about to attack. It's a happy so. cowboy, and that's what you all should right. feel like when you eat it. Apparently. I felt I like mean, neither of those things, by the way, while <laughs> that was happening. You were eating horse hooves. I, and cool. also listening to, like, just the worst. The worst thing that ever happened, yeah. racist story of the day. Um, cool, 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 cool. Well, wherever you are, what was his name again? Ronnie Long? Ronnie Long. I hope you're well. I don't know if you'll ever hear this. Probably not, but I hope... No, I hope you don't ever have to think about this case again. I hope that everybody who is listening sends you the best energy in the whole world. And I'm so, so sorry. Yep. And also maybe eat some Jolly Ranchers, I guess. I don't know. No, don't. Let's find you something better. Maybe like some mac and cheese. Oreos are vegan. They are. I I know. So are Twizzlers. Oh, fun. Okay. Well, anyway, now that we've completely derailed... Uh, thank you everyone for listening and also um, please go give yourself some comfort food or something after that story um, yep enjoy your day and that's why we drink <laughs> for sure <laughs> okay bye everybody when it comes to listing your home for sale everyone and their mom has advice oh honey who's gonna want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac it's literally a dead end but for professional advice, a Remax agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.